Today is Pentecost Sunday and our reading is taken from Acts chapter 2. Familiar words, I'm sure to most of us. Words that we've heard read or we've read ourselves many, many times over. And uh, tales of the day that the Spirit came upon the early disciples there as they were gathering together. As I said last week, as we come to these passages in the book of Acts, so often we come and we think, oh, I know this story. I've heard it many, many times. And it's difficult sometimes, isn't it, to, to enter into a story and to see it with new eyes or to see it with fresh vision. And uh, I want us to be able to try and do that this morning as we as we read this passage and as we just look at it just for a moment or two uh, this morning, just try and put yourselves into the feet, into the shoes of these disciples. Just try to put yourselves into what they've all gone through over those, the recent weeks and just put yourselves into their way of thinking as to what they might be expecting, as to what they might be anticipating you know, when Jesus says, wait in Jerusalem for the promise that I'm going to ask the Father to send. What would be their expectation? What would be their desires? What would be their prayer? In a sense, this morning, as we come to worship, what was your anticipation? What was your expectation of God? And in meeting with God this morning, is it, in a sense, more of the same or do we expect to meet God in a new way and in a fresh way? It's so easy, isn't it? And I'm conscious because, yeah, I've read this passage. I suppose in ministry I've certainly come to it uh, every, every year for the last 36 years. You know, and, and there's that sense of, you know, Lord, make it fresh. Make it real. Make it fresh for... May 2018, for today. It's so easy just to simply look back and to say, well, that was for then, and that's how it was then. But what about me? What about us? How is the Holy Spirit demonstrated in our lives? How is the Holy Spirit at work in our lives? In what ways do we know the power of the Holy Spirit within our lives and within our circumstances and situations? So let's read these words in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. The streets of Jerusalem were bustling, just like Windsor yesterday, just like Windsor, preparing for the royal wedding. There was that festival atmosphere. People were happy. Probably the sun was shining and everybody was in good spirits. It was one of the main festivals of the year and every devout Jew would want to be there to be part of what was happening, to experience what was happening. And people could come from all over the world, around the Mediterranean basin there, the Middle East, into Southern Europe and, and Asia. People had been drawn to this place. Just like yesterday, people had been drawn to that place there in Windsor. People from every nation in the, globe, in the world. It was amazing just listening on the radio a little bit and they were interviewing people from Australia who had flown in from Melbourne just simply to be there. Just simply to be part. They said, we want to be part of history. And that was it. They just wanted to be there and to sample the atmosphere. And Jerusalem would have been about the same. It would have been bustling. It would have been busy. It would have been active. The temple would look its best because this was one of the high festivals of the year. The, the, the priests would be in all their regalia and their robes. Everything would be clean and polished and ready and prepared for this festival. The festival, the harvest festival or the festival of weeks or as what, what we know, in it, know as it, in its Greek name, was Pentecost. It's a celebration of the beginning of harvest. When everyone brought the first fruits of the season's crop as a free will offering to God in anticipation of a successful harvest. Yet I can remember fully, any gardener, farmer will realise that, the anticipation that there, in those, when you're beginning that harvest and the anticipation of what is to come and the excitement of that and the thrill of that. It was also traditionally seen as a day that they remembered, the day when Moses received the law on Mount Sinai, that law that was written on tablets of stone. And so there was a lot going on, there was a lot buzzing around. The Feast of Weeks came seven weeks and one day after the Passover. One wonders if, as the crowd gathers, there is any talk of what had happened, what had unfolded 50 days previously, or whether it had simply slipped 
into people's subconscious. The fact of what had happened at the previous Passover, when again, Jerusalem would have been buzzing. When Jerusalem would have been active and full and there'd been lots of people around and yes, there'd been that procession down the streets of a man carrying his cross to Calvary. I wonder whether there'd been any buzz in the, in the crowd, just simply remembering 50 days previously. Whether it put anything on the atmosphere there, we don't know. For a small band of men and women, the last 50 days have challenged every emotion possible. Every thought, every belief that they have ever had has been pushed to the brink and beyond. They have experienced any and every emotion that we can imagine in those 50 days. They were devastated by grief of seeing their rabbi, Jesus, arrested, condemned, humiliated, crucified and buried. They were then, had bewildering euphoria of his subsequent resurrection and his numerous appearances to them over a period of 40 days. They experienced the astonishing intimacy of over those 40 days of sharing with him, having him teaching from the scriptures and unfolding the scriptures to them and teaching them about the kingdom of God and about what was to come and to be. And only 10 days previously, they experienced the awe-inspiring spectacle of seeing him disappear into the clouds before their eyes. And with that command ringing in their ears, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Just imagine for these men and women as they gather faithfully, and so for 10 days, this group of believers, including the disciples of Jesus, probably up to something like 120 of them, had faithfully gathered in Jerusalem and prayerfully waited. Gathered and waited through that period of time. The final words of Luke in his Gospel tell us, that they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Chapter 24, verse 52. So what do we learn from these disciples? What can we gather from these disciples? First of all, that they were prepared to take Jesus at his word. They were prepared to take Jesus at his word. Jesus said, wait. So we'll wait. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem. So we will stay in Jerusalem. They took Jesus at his word. For them, waiting was not a passive activity, but an active engagement with God. 
their focus was upon God. They actively waited in the presence of God. So often we can sometimes think, can't we, that waiting is just simply sitting there, waiting for something to drop into our laps. Something to fall out of the sky. But then we read, don't we, in the passage there in chapter 1, that they obviously looked into the scriptures, they obviously came together, they obviously prayed, they're obviously looking to God. It wasn't something passive, but they were active. How good are we at searching the scriptures when we have an issue, when we're struggling with something in our hearts? How good are we at searching the scriptures to find what God is saying? How good are we at setting aside that time to wait? To wait to God for answers? To wait for God to act and move? And you see, they took themselves to the place where they could meet with God, the temple. They took themselves to the place where they could meet with God. They put them in, themselves in the place where God could bless them. Where they knew that God would be. Because yes, the temple, the temple was, that, was the place where God was. And so they took themselves to the place where God, where they could meet with him. Praise was their focus. Luke tells us they stayed continually at the temple praising God. I sometimes feel that we will do anything but praise. We will moan, we will grumble, we will ask. But we won't praise. We won't express our thanksgiving, we won't express our worship, we won't express our adoration, we won't express our love. But we'll constantly come and bombard God with our request, Lord, do this, do this, do this, do this. But they just simply focused upon who God was and who God is. You see, they looked for the, to the giver, not the gift. Their praise was focused upon God. Now, we don't know whether in all their praying there was that intercession that said, Lord, give us the promise, pour out the promise, whatever that might be pour out this Holy Spirit, there may well have been, but it was always focused upon God. They looked to the giver, not the gift. And so it was that the day of Pentecost came. Their waiting paid off. The Holy Spirit came. A lot has been made about yesterday and a lot has been made about the preacher, the American preacher, the passion, the liveliness, the gospel that he preached. And it was just interesting to just catch some of the glimpses of the faces of people in the congregation as he was preaching. Some were really engaged and some were totally bewildered by it. But can you just imagine? Can you just imagine something? There are these group of people they're waiting in the presence of God. And suddenly the Spirit comes. And the impact that that would have and the ripples that that would take through those who gathered 
in the city. They were saying that there was more laughter outside of, the, of, of St George's Chapel at some of the things that the preacher said than there was in the chapel. Because they laughed, they responded, they heard. But what the scriptures say here on the day of Pentecost, it began suddenly, that is abruptly and unexpectedly. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind filled the whole house where they were sitting. Here we are, we're sitting. We're sitting. We're sitting in this house. And the sound like that of a violent wind fills the whole house. It came suddenly, it came, he came abruptly. There was no fanfare. There was no proclamation. He came. And then it continues with what seems to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Luke is here grasping at words. He's grasping at concepts. He's saying it was a sound like the blowing of a wind. It was seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came. He's trying to describe that which is indescribable. He can't put the Holy Spirit in a box. He can't say, look, this is what it was. This is what it seemed like. This is what it, it appeared to be. And the result, they were all of them filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. What is it saying to us? It's saying that the Holy Spirit cannot be contained any more than that we can contain God. Jesus said, the wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with the Spirit of the, uh, born of the Spirit. As we learnt last week, the Holy Spirit is the unseen force. Jesus is saying to us that the Spirit is the invisible person of God, who is at work in our lives. He's not visible, but he's real and he's powerful and his influence is seen in what he does and in those that he touches and fills. Have you ever tried to catch the wind? Have you ever tried to catch it? You can't, can you? But isn't that what we're so often guilty of? We want to catch the Spirit. We want to say, this is what it is. This is who he is. And yet we can't. Because the moment we take hold of him, he slips through our fingers. And he's gone. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God. Fire in the Old Testament often indicated the presence of God, especially in his burning holiness, purity and power, consuming everything that is impure. What was it Moses met? Jesus, God at the burning bush, fire. What was it that led the people of Israel through the wilderness? Yes, it was the cloud by day, but the pillar of fire by night. What is it that when Moses went up onto the Mount Sinai to receive God's word, yes, there was the billowing fire of God's presence. 
Remember that John the Baptist had prophesied that Jesus would baptise with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The very presence, the very holy, pure presence of God. They're descending upon these disciples. The Holy Spirit brings a new dynamic. There is something lively, energetic, vibrant, vigorous and dynamic about what we see happening to these disciples. And this new dynamic gives to them a new confidence, assurance, passion, courage and boldness as witnesses what happens subsequently. The witnessing to, the preaching to a vast crowd of festival goers who in turn become the first fruits of the harvest of the new age of the church. It also gives them a new ability to speak in other languages and that's at the heart of that word. You will be baptised with power. At the heart of that word is that concept of giving us the ability. Of giving us the ability. And that's what comes. A new dynamic. And the Holy Spirit is a good gift. One thing that struck me just reading it through recently is that nowhere in this passage do we find that the 120 disciples were fearful, were hesitant, or embarrassed. But you see, that's so often the words that I hear from people when you start talking about the, the Holy Spirit. We become fearful of what it might mean. We think, oh, I'll be embarrassed. But we don't hear anything of that with the disciples here. Yes, we hear about the response of the people in the crowds, that some were bewildered, some were amazed, and some were very cynical. And we will find that when, the move, when God's Spirit moves amongst us, we will find that, that some will be bewildered, some will be amazed, and some will be cynical. There'll always be those, but with the disciples, there's none of that. Why? Because they realise that the Holy Spirit is a good gift. A good gift to be taken, to be embraced. Rather, because of what follows, these disciples appear to find that the whole experience is transforming. It's infirming, it's empowering, and it is releasing. Jesus said, If you then, though are evil, know how to give good gifts, to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? With the implied inference that the gift of the Spirit is a good gift, something that we should ask for, something that we should seek, and something that we should receive. And that's where we're going to end up this morning. Just that opportunity to receive. Just that opportunity to receive. We've sung about God's love. We recognise the goodness of God's love. We sometimes sing about the fact that God is good. And Jesus says to us, the gift of the Holy Spirit is a good gift for us. So as we come to our final worship, time of worship, there's opportunity just simply to come forward. I've got my oil, I've got the oil this morning.
just the opportunity just to come and to be anointed with oil as a symbol of God's spirit, to receive afresh God's touch in your life and to say, Lord, I'm available, I'm available. Maybe this morning you're carrying something in your own heart. Maybe, you know, you're carrying something for somebody else and you want to come forward for specifically, maybe it's for healing, Maybe it's for guidance and for wisdom, discernment. Then come forward, just be anointed. Offer up to God what it is that you come with. And open your heart. Open your heart to God afresh. And let's see what God will do with us. Richard, can we come back?